Hello, welcome back to Jumble. We're opening up episode six. A pretty packed week full of different sports stuff. You got a lot of stuff going on with Carolina basketball right now, which is what we're going to open with. Obviously, March Madness is at its peak. We've closed in on the Swiss 16. We got all those matchups. No more perfect brackets. Everyone's busted, which everyone seems surprised. We really shouldn't be. I mean, the chances of having a perfect bracket are quite literally worse than you getting struck by lightning, being eaten by a shark, going to the NBA, or becoming the president of the United States. So your odds are not good, to put it in the least. But nonetheless, I think everyone every year, including myself, thinks that they have a perfect bracket because I thought I had it figured out this year, man. I thought I had it. But of course I didn't. Um, <laughs> didn't have it. But it's still... So fun to do. I was super sad last year when COVID got to its peak and none of us got to fill out a bracket. Super sad. Then we got the NBA. The NBA to me is always entertaining, but the MVP race really heating up right now. A couple unfortunate injuries this week. We have some NFL free agency, some teams that I think are not making some moves they need to make, then a, a team that's done some really good things for their organization and you know, I, I just think we got some interesting stuff this week. Um, we're going to start off with Carolina, uh, Walker Kessler, and just the current state of Carolina basketball because I think it's headed downhill really, really fast. If you guys keep up with Carolina basketball, you know Walker Kessler was a freshman this year. He was a big man. He didn't play a lot, which I think is a, the biggest part of why he's transferring, but it, it's different because in years past, We know Roy likes to play his seniors. He likes to play the older guys, and I think that's understandable because the older guys, they know the system. They're familiar with the system. Whatever. They they just know what they're doing, and Roy likes that, and I understand because if I was a coach, I would want guys to know what's going on too, and that's understandable. But the difference this year, there's a couple differences. One, there's been guys years past that were freshmen and sophomores. And maybe they were good enough to get in the rotation, and maybe they weren't. And they don't because they're freshmen and sophomores. But it's nothing that's a huge deal because they're just players that, eh, maybe they're good enough to get in the rotation. And it's not a big deal that they're not there because they're borderline. The reason I think the Walker-Kessler situation is different is not only Walker-Kessler good enough to be in the rotation. In my opinion, Walker-Kessler was the best player on this Carolina team. This Carolina team, it was no secret, is not as good as teams have been in the past. Carolina has had teams and great, great programs before, like with Joel Berry, Marcus Page, Bryce Johnson, just a a lot of these, Raymond Felton, Ty Lawson, a lot of incredible players that have made some really astonishing runs and done some incredible things in the NCAA tournament. And this year was clearly not one of them. They got demolished by Wisconsin, and the season exemplified just how this team's state was. It wasn't good. They had some games where they absolutely destroyed teams, Louisville and Notre Dame particularly, and looked awesome. They had other games to where they lost to Marquette, and that was indicative of the season. But the problem that presents itself to me is you have Garrison Brooks, right? Garrison Brooks is a senior. He had a really good last year, and he had a good sophomore year, so Roy's going to play him. And he was terrible this year. He was playing 25 minutes a game, basically, sometimes more, sometimes rarely less, but usually more. 
and just not producing. Uh, he's getting back down. He's a big dude, like muscular guy, but he'd get back down. He didn't block shots. He got in foul trouble. He didn't score points. Uh, he honestly did rebound pretty well, but when that's all you're doing and you're fouling a lot of the time too, it's just not worth it to have you in there, especially when you have another guy like Kessler there. And I don't blame Kessler a bit for his decision. I think Kessler made a great call to transfer because he was not played the way that he should have been played in North Carolina. He was, again, the best player on the team and really not even in the rotation. The only games that he got in, other than the one game that Garrison Brooks was hurt, is when other players were in foul trouble. That's the only time he went in. Or if they were up. Like, you guys know a lot of teams, they're up by a lot at the end of the second half or the first quarter, or sorry, the first half, whatever, and they just stick these guys in. It's like, oh, we're going to win anyway. You might as well play, whatever, have fun. So that's the only time this guy was playing, and he's he's the best player on the team. So it's just not fair to him, and I think that he's going to be really successful wherever he goes. He immediately impacted the game every time he came into a Carolina game, whether it was statistically or not. The guy's foot two, I believe, so he sticks his hands up. He's going to intimidate a shot or two. It's just the way that it is. And usually he was impacting the game statistically, too. Like, he comes in, gets a steal, a block, a rebound, you know, just a little dunk. He impacted the game great, and you could tell the team was better every time Kessler came in. And then he'd be in for three minutes, Garrison Brooks would get his pep talk, and they'd throw him back in, and we'd suck again. It was so disappointing, and I would be very frustrated if I was Walker Kessler. If you guys know anything about Walker Kessler, he's actually from Georgia, so my hopes that I actually talked to my dad about is that he commits to Georgia Tech, who is in the ACC, They'll play Carolina, and we both agree that we hope Walker Kessler destroys us because we deserve it. We deserve it for the way we treated him. He's a great player. I hope he has the best success in the NBA. I think he's really, really good. And I hope wherever he goes next season that they do get the opportunity to play North Carolina, and I hope he kills us. I hope he has 50 points. I'd love to see him do something insane and just absolutely demolish us. We seriously, seriously deserve it. I mean, the way that we played him was terrible. Just to exemplify the type of season Garrison Brooks and Walker Kessler had, let's look at some statistics. So, the first game I want to look at is what I would consider to be one of Garrison Brooks' worst games of the year. This is against... Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I left that game out because I don't think it's relevant because it is in the middle of nowhere. It is against Duke, though. But here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look in the ACC tournament. So, no, actually, we'll start before that. We're going to start with a game we played against Notre Dame. So, this is against Notre Dame in the regular season, our first meeting against Notre Dame. Carolina wins this game 66-65. to Remember, that's important. Carolina won by one point. So, we're going to look at Garrison Brooks. Garrison Brooks. In this game, Garrison Brooks had eight rebounds and five points. He played a total of 28 minutes and 46 seconds. So then you look at Walker Kessler, who played 5 minutes and 15 seconds, which is less than anyone in the game. Even Puff Johnson, who was only on the team because his brother Cameron Johnson was so good for us, who never played the whole season and was not very good at all. Less than Andrew Playtech, who played 15 minutes. And less than R.J. Davis, 22, who had one of the most pitiful seasons I've ever seen a Carolina basketball player have. Plays 5 minutes and 15 seconds. We win by one point. Okay, great. So, fast forward a little bit to the ACC tournament. We have Carolina playing Notre Dame again. Now, immediately you're going to look up the box score for this game, which I encourage you to do so, and you see Carolina has 101 to Notre Dame's 59. 
We won by 42 points. Now, what's the difference between this game and the first time we played Notre Dame? That's a great question. Let's look at the box score. So the first thing you'll notice is you're going to look at the box score, and you're going to look. It's in alphabetical order, I do believe. Actually, maybe it's not because... Okay, the starting five is, but then it just, I don't know what it bases it on next after that. I guess minutes. But you look at it, you see Baycott, Caleb Love, Daron Sharp, Lee Black, Kerwin Walton, Walker Kessler, R.J. Davis, Anthony Harris, Andrew Playtech, uh, Miller Walker, K.J. Smith, Ryan McAdoo, Sterling Manley, and Lebo Creighton. So you look at that and you think to yourself, hey, where's, where's Garrison Brooks? And that's the interesting thing. We win by 42, Garrison Brooks doesn't play this game. Does he didn't play at all? I don't I don't remember why, but he didn't play. So then let's let's look at Kerwin Walton. Or sorry, not Kerwin Walton. I do want to talk about Kerwin Walton, but let's look at Walker Kessler's numbers. Okay, so our big man doesn't play. So Kerwin Walton still doesn't get. Oh my gosh, I keep saying Kerwin Walton. So Walker Kessler still does not get to start, which is a tragedy. But he gets some minutes. So he plays twenty one minutes, which I do believe is more minutes than he played the rest of the season. So you look. And let's see, what he, let's see what he did in his 21 minutes. Let's see if he maybe earned some playing time. Oh, look at that. He had 12 rebounds. Cool. Oh, he had 16 points. Awesome. He had a double-double. And then what? He had eight blocks. Considered to be a lot is two. Like, two blocks a game is awesome. This man had eight blocks in a game. Like, a, like one game, he had eight blocks. So, we went by 42. Carl Walton... Oh, my goodness. Walker Kessler almost puts up a triple-double with blocks. So you're like, okay, this man has earned his time. He is awesome, and he should be in the rotation next game. Now, we're going to look at the next game. We play Virginia Tech. Now, I'll go ahead and spoil. We do win this game, 81-73. to The next game is where we got eliminated from the ACC tournament by Florida State. So we think, oh, yeah, as great as Walker Kessler played last game, he is going to play a ton. Next game is going to be awesome. So... Garrison Brooks comes back the next game immediately. Roy starts him. Garrison plays 22 minutes, has three rebounds, and five points. So, basically, he sucks. Then you look at Kessler. After having this awesome game, only 11 minutes, seven rebounds, and four points. Gets his minutes taken away by 10 after he had almost a triple-double with blocks. The way Roy played him was a shame. He, he definitely should have transferred. I thought at the whole year he was the best player on the team. I knew he was going to transfer, and he should. Uh, it's a disgrace. And the future of Carolina basketball is honestly really scary because we're seeing tweets from other players like Baycott who said changes everything. A lot of the parents uh, of the players are tweeting. And one that I don't understand, Caleb Love, um, it, it's not officially been confirmed, but it's thought that he's gone. Now, whether it's to the NBA draft or to um, the transfer portal is unknown. But Caleb Love had more minutes than anyone this season, even more than Garrison Brooks, and he led us in shot attempts. Now, I'll give Roy Williams a really hard time. I think Roy Williams should hang it up at this point. I've been really frustrated with Roy ever since we had Nate Britt on the team because he was playing Nate Britt in crucial situations where I didn't think Nate Britt needed to be in the game. And I'm not a college basketball coach, so maybe there was a reason he was in there. He could, he was a free-throw shooter for sure, but he just he was pretty small, and he, he couldn't really defend. So I, I didn't like him in there, and I've been saying I think Roy should retire since then, but I think this year exonerates the fact that Roy Williams needs to retire. 
he still refuses to defend the three ball. Carolina is decimated by the three-point shot every single year, and it doesn't ever get any better, and Roy refuses to fix it. And then this year plays plays soft senior Garrison Brooks over a potential star in Walker Kessler. I, I, I really think it's his time to go. And is he going to hang it up? Probably not. But I think the team would be significantly better if they would. But back to Caleb. Caleb Love. As much as a hard time, I will give Roy. Because I think a lot of our struggles is Roy's fault. Caleb Love had us in shot attempts and minutes. Caleb Love struggling is on Caleb Love. It's not Roy's fault. He, I, I don't know what his problem is. I predicted Caleb Love to be our best player this year before the preseason. And he was horrible. He was awful. But it's on him. There's nothing that anyone else can do. Like, he gave him the minutes, gave him the shots, and he didn't hit the shots, and he didn't do anything with the minutes, and that's on him. But uh, despite, I, I think Baycott coming back is awesome. Baycott improved a lot from his freshman to sophomore year, and I think led us statistically in points. And I was really impressed with him, and I hope he comes back. Um, I really do. But a, a scary thing for Carolina is the transfer portal used to, you transfer, you had to sit out a year, and then the next year you could play. Now you transfer and you just play. So despite the fact that the transfer portal is for players who aren't being played fairly or just in not a good situation for themselves, like Walker Kessler, who, despite being an awesome player, isn't being played. And it's not for guys like Caleb Love, who are just unhappy because they're not on a good team. I mean, Carolina's not a good team. And he can leave just because he's not happy being on the team that he's on because they're not as successful as he had hoped. And that's not what the transfer portal is for. And I think that one year you had to sit out prevented players from doing that. And now it doesn't matter. You can just transfer, and next year you can be playing for Vanderbilt, just like nothing ever happened. So that that really scares me. The future of Carolina basketball, I think, is going really downhill really quickly, and I think we need to make some changes really fast, or things are going to get even uglier than they already are. But I really do believe Roy needs to hang it up. Best of luck to Kessler. I think he's an awesome player, and I think he's going to continue to improve and be great wherever he goes. And again, wherever he goes, I hope he kills us next season because we deserve it. We suck, and we treated him terribly. But on to the next thing, March Madness. Everybody's bracket's already shot. It is every year. I don't know why we continuously are surprised because of the fact that, I mean, the the odds of the bracket, like I said earlier, are so slim. But every year, people like me say, oh, yeah, this is the year. And it never is. It never, it's, it's not the year. It's never the year. But we're going to look at some of these games. We're going to talk about some of these games. And I'm going to fill you guys in on what I think is going to happen the rest of the way. We're going to start in the round of 64. Um, there's a lot of games that we're not going to talk about much, and then there, we'll talk about some. So, the first game we see here, we're starting going from west down, is Gonzaga versus North Fork. North Fork, Folk State, I don't even know. Gonzaga wins, no shocker. Oklahoma beats Missouri, 8-9, no big deal. Creighton beats USBC by 1, a 5, and a 12. That was a really good game. And this was an upset, but it just it wasn't that big of an upset to me. Uh, Ohio, number 13, over number 4, Virginia by 4. I get this, like, on paper, a 13 beating 4 is a really big deal. It's a big upset. But Jason Preston for Ohio is awesome. And they have played some really top-tier teams. Like, I think they played Iowa and Illinois this year and lost with them 5 to both of them. They're a really well-coached team with a one phenomenal star player. And as someone who is a fan of a team in the ACC – 
we see the ACC collapse in the tournament year after year after year. And it doesn't surprise me. This is one of the upsets that I had picked. It's actually one of the very few that I got right. But that doesn't surprise me. We see number 6, USC, beating number 11, Drake. No shocker. Kansas beating East Washington. No shocker. Oregon beating VCU. Uh, That was the COVID game that got canceled because VCU got COVID. So Oregon moves on. Not really much I can say about it. Although I just, I really, it, it bothers me that a game in the tournament was affected by COVID because of the fact that it's just something near and dear to my heart. I enjoy it every year, and I was crushed last year when I didn't get to fill out my bracket. It really, that was that was hard. But I hate to see COVID affect in the tournament, but it did, and Oregon moves on. Number two, Iowa moving on over Grand Canyon. Michigan beating Texas Southern. LSU beating St. Bonaventure. Uh, number five, Colorado, who looked really hot coming into the tournament, beating number 12, Georgetown. I'm sure Patrick Ewan was very upset. <laughs> number four, Florida State, beating UNC Greensboro by 10. That's that's a much closer game if you actually watched it, and then the, the score will tell you. UNC Greensboro was in there the whole way. Number 11, UCLA, beating number six, BYU. This isn't really as much of an upset as it may look to me because of the fact that UCLA is such a big program. It's just not a shocker to me that they would beat a team like BYU, but an incredible game. Number 14, Albany Christian beating Texas by one. Now, that was a huge shocker and bracket buster on my end, given that I had Texas making a real run and being a great contending team in this tournament, and I would have never dreamed Albany Christian was knocking them out in the first round. And good to them, because it's a team I've never even heard of before, so good for them to move on. And then number 10, Maryland beating UConn, nothing huge. Alabama beats Iona. Congrats to Rick Patino for getting Iona there, but he just got unlucky with the two seed that he played, and... I knew there was no way he's beating Alabama, but Rick Pitino is a good coach, despite all the dirtying up of his name he's done. He is a great basketball coach. Baylor beats Hartford. Wisconsin, like I said earlier, destroys North Carolina. Villanova beats Winthrop. North Texas beats Purdue. That's a 13 and a 4. Um, pretty big deal there. I didn't think North Texas had a shot. Purdue looked pretty good to me going into the tournament. I saw him slip maybe once, but that was about it, and I thought they were going to Actually, I didn't have them going for. I had them losing to Villanova in the next round because of the Villanova's experience. But I would have never dreamed they were lost to North Texas. Um, Texas Tech beat Utah State. The early stages of the, that game were really boring, but it did kick up towards the end. Arkansas beats Colgate. Florida beats Virginia Tech in one of the better games of the tournament. An incredible shot to send that game to overtime, but Florida still managed to pull it out after that incredible shot by Tech. Then, in my opinion, undoubtedly the best game of the entire tournament Number 15, Oral Roberts, beats number 2, Ohio State, and moves on to the round of 32. That's an awesome. You just We've seen a couple twos lose to a 15, but it never loses its value. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, it's not a lot of times that that happens, so we're definitely going to cherish any time that that happens. A team like Oral Roberts moves on. And then you go to the Midwest, the last bracket. We got... Illinois moving on over Drexel. Loyola Chicago moving on over Georgia Tech. Oregon State being Tennessee was a shocker because I thought whoever won that round of 32 game versus Tennessee of Oklahoma State that I thought would inevitably happen was going to make a pretty decent run and probably make it out of this. But (laughs) Tennessee goes down by 14 in the first round. Oklahoma State beats Liberty. Syracuse beats San Diego State. Despite this being an 11-6, not a huge shocker to me. I know the ACC, like I said earlier, usually collapses, but shooting goes a long way. This team has a lot of shooters, especially Betty, Buddy Bayheim, and I figured they would make a run against a team like 
San Diego State because they they're not known to be phenomenal or anything. So uh, that's not a huge upset to me. West Virginia moves on against Moorhead State. Rutgers move on against Clemson. Houston moves on versus Cleveland State. And that would conclude our round of 64. So then we're going to look at the round of 32, which is the last round that has been played so far. So at the top of this, we have Gonzaga beating Oklahoma. Nothing crazy. We got Ohio beating or losing to Creighton. And this is a game that actually surprised me. Uh, I had Ohio in my Sweet 16. It is crazy to believe in a team that is a 13 over the 5. But like I said, I like Jason Preston a lot, and I really thought he was going to carry. And it actually surprised me that they lost like this to Creighton. I just Maybe I had a little too much belief in them, and there's a great possibility that that's what it was. But I really thought Ohio was going to keep going. And they fall right here, which is unfortunate because that was kind of my personal Cinderella pick. And another game that surprised me even more so than that is USC beating Kansas by 34. For one, I had Kansas winning this game because Bill Self is an experienced coach. He's been there. He's done it. And Kansas is the historically great program that I have gone for every year and usually have winning it. And UCS, or USC, I, I get that mixed up a lot, they had a really hot streak coming into the tournament. They've looked great. They've had a couple of great games. I just didn't think they could make it past Kansas. And this is a game that I had pegged to be one of the best games of the entire tournament. I thought it was going to be a really, really close game. I thought it was going to be a slug it out, fight it out, drag it out game. And USC just comes in and destroys Kansas like you would have never expected. Then you look at the next game, Oregon versus Iowa, and the number seven Oregon beats Iowa by 15. Really surprising we didn't even get to see Oregon play in the first round, and a lot of people really liked Iowa with big Luke Garza, who had 36 in this game and just wasn't enough. The rest of the team really struggled, and they lose. And that that's just as big of an upset as any other than maybe Oral Roberts or Albany Christian. But I had Iowa making it definitely to the Elite Eight here. And, well, I, I don't remember who I had picked in them in Iowa and Kansas because I'm not currently looking at my bracket because I don't want to look at one that's absolutely shredded. But it is a team that I had deep in my tournament, and I'm very surprised to see them go down to Oregon. Then we have Michigan and LSU. That was actually a pretty decent game. Florida State handling Colorado really well, which I had Florida State winning this, but it did surprise me they beat Colorado as good as they did because Colorado was another team coming into the tournament that I thought had looked really good in their last couple of games. So I was surprised to see them go out like that, but happy because even though Florida State's my football team, Carolina being out, I got to root for somebody. So it is Florida State at this point. UCLA, Albany Christian, UCLA winning by 20, no shocker. Alabama beats Maryland by 19, no shocker. Same thing, Baylor beating Wisconsin, same thing, Villanova beating North Texas. And one that surprised me despite the numbers, number three, Arkansas beating Texas Tech by two. I guess maybe my high school mixtape days got the best of me here. I, I mean, Texas Tech did have two decent shots to tie this game, and they blew them, but... I really thought Mac and McClung could carry this team. I had them in the Elite Eight also. I was really surprised to see them lose to Arkansas. I just thought they were going to make a push for it. They didn't, and it's unfortunate, but I guess that's what I get for picking a six over a three. I don't like Arkansas a lot right now. They just haven't looked like a, a three-seed team to me, but they do make it to the Sweet 16. Then we have Oral Roberts continuing their reign of terror over Florida. They're now the second ever 
15 seed to make it to the Sweet 16. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast, the other one, I don't remember what year that was. I think it was either 13 or 14, but um, Oral Roberts, man. I I can't. I guess if it came down to Oral Roberts playing FSU, I'd probably still root for Oral Roberts. you gotta look, You got to root for the little guy, so love Oral Roberts doing this right now. Then I guess I've learned my lesson. No more betting against Loyola Chicago. They beat number one Illinois in an in-state rivalry. Whoever that coach is, I don't know who it is, honestly. I don't know his name. But some big programs should definitely be looking at that guy because he has really done a lot for this program of Loyola. I mean, he's got him this far twice, <laughs> not just once. And it's not even over this time. There's no telling the potential that he has. Then another game that surprised me, number 12, Oregon State, taking down number four, Oklahoma State. I actually had Oklahoma State in my championship game. I had them losing, but... I, I've, I've been really vocal. I believe in Cade Cunningham a lot. I really like Cade Cunningham. I think he's awesome, and I thought he was going to carry him. And Oklahoma, or sorry, Oregon State had a really good game plan here. What they did for the game is they really double teamed, focused on Cade Cunningham. They said, We're not going to let you do much. We're going to make the rest of this team beat us. We're going to leave them open for shots. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And they tried to make the rest of Oklahoma State beat them. And they crumbled. The other guys couldn't do anything without Kay Cunningham being very involved. And, you know, it proves for a 10-point win versus Oregon State. Uh, 11 Syracuse beating West Virginia. The three heartbreaker for Kendall and Randall there. But we love to see upsets. Uh, unfortunately, I probably was rooting for West Virginia again because of those guys. But it is nice to see at least one, or I guess we still have two ACC teams in because Florida State, I always forget about conferences. But that was a great game. Buddy Bayheim lit it up and in the second half, and it really came down to it. West Virginia had a chance, but they just I think their morale was really down because they'd been down about the whole game. And then a game that I'm very disappointed in, number 10 Rutgers beating Houston the entire game. I mean, just about the entire time to the last minute. And they just choked. And it's unfortunate because we could have a 10 and 11 playing in the Sweet 16, but instead we have an 11 and 2. And that's unfortunate because you always love to see the upsets. But Houston does move on. So we're looking at the Sweet 16 here, which clearly hasn't happened yet. But I'm going to give you guys my predictions because I can. And I think it'll be fun. And you guys can come back to this and tell me how wrong I was. Or you can say, wow, you filled out a perfect bracket from this Week 16, which is what we're hoping for. Gonzaga and Creighton. I say Gonzaga kills Creighton. Not even close. (laughs) USC versus Oregon. I think USC is just really going to ride that hot streak for at least another game, and they're going to push past Oregon after Oregon's probably a little overconfident after beating Luke Garza. Michigan, Florida State. I've got the upset right here. I'm going to take the Florida State team, who I think looked awesome against Colorado. I still had them winning that game, but I never dreamed they'd win by that much. So I really like Florida State right now. Scotty Barnes, MJ Walker being a really key player. So I think they can just that's going to be a really good game, but I think they can push past. I think Alabama's going to kill UCLA. I think Baylor's going to kill Nova. Um, then my probably pick, uh, my controversial pick, I guess, I, I like I said, I don't like Arkansas. I don't. And Oral Roberts ain't got nothing to lose, man, so I think they're going to come out guns a-blazing. And I think they're going to beat Arkansas and make uh, for history to be the first 15 seed ever to make it to the Elite Eight. I really like what Oral Roberts is doing right now. I don't want to bet against Loyola Chicago anymore, so I'll take them over Oregon State. And then as bad as Houston looked last game and as good as Syracuse looked against the number three West Virginia, who I think is significantly better than Houston, I'll take Buddy Bayham and Syracuse there. So then 
We'll look at the next round. I'm going to start here. I'll start from the bottom and go back, work my way back up. We got Loyola and Syracuse. My, my mind here, I'm looking at these teams, and I see an ACC team. Despite the fact the ACC always crumbles, it is a huge conference. They have Buddy Bayheim. They have Jim Bayheim, who has the second most wins in college basketball of all time. And my brain tells me Syracuse. But I... Loyola Chicago burns me year after year, and my heart just wants to pick Loyola. So that's what we're going to do, because it's my bragging, and I can't. Loyola Chicago to the Final Four, because why not? So we have Oral Roberts, Baylor. I'd say Baylor is probably going to squash them, but it will be awesome that Oral made it that far anyways. So there you go. Then we got Alabama-Florida State. I think that's going to be a really good game, but I'll take Alabama. I think they're the second-best team in college basketball this year, despite records or what anything may say. Their defensive prowess is just a lot, and it's a lot to handle. So I'll take Alabama in that game. Then we have USC and Gonzaga, and I think Gonzaga will squash them. (laughs) Then we have, in my opinion, the two best teams, Gonzaga and Alabama, playing. I think this will be probably one of the best games in college basketball the entire year. I'll take Gonzaga. I like Alabama as the second-best team, but I, I just think this Gonzaga team's unbeatable, man. I really do. They've had so many great programs, so many great years, and they really got nothing to show for it other than losing that one year to North Carolina, which, you know, was awesome. But um, I, I just think it, it seems like it's their turn. I, I think their turn's really already passed, and they have something this year that I think they've never had. They've had a lot of good players. They've had some players go to the NBA, but they've never had that superstar, that, that effect like Jalen Suggs. And I think Jalen Suggs is really going to carry these guys to that championship. They just never had a player like that. And I think that's really going to help them get this title. I think it's going to bring them there, which I, I kind of gave away my title pick. But <laughs> there you go. And, and then I'll go back down to Baylor and Loyola Chicago. Despite the fact that I don't want to bet, bet against Loyola, I think when it comes to Baylor, you don't really have any choice. So I'm going to take Baylor. They're going to play with Gonzaga. And I think that'll be a good game as well, but I'll, I'll still take Gonzaga. Like I said, I just think they're unbeatable personally. I could be wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong because they're the number one overall seed, so it's kind of a boring winner pick. But, you know, it just it's hard to bet against those guys. They have Jalen Suggs and a really incredible team, including Timmy, to surround him. So then on to the next thing. We see two tragic injuries this week. Two, they impact in different ways, but they both impact major awards. The first one being, I'll start with it again, considering I'm sure the Hornets fan, LaMelo Ball. So the LaMelo Ball wrist fracture, in my opinion, means two things. One, Anthony Edwards is now the Rookie of the Year. I think beforehand, LaMelo Ball was getting it and no one was even close. But Anthony Edwards has looked awesome lately. He had a 42-point game the other night. He's been contributing a lot to Minnesota and what they're trying to build there. And he looks really good. I never thought he was a bad player. I actually thought he was the best player coming out of the draft. I didn't think it was LaMelo Ball, which, of course, I've been proved wrong. But I do like Anthony. I think if all continues as it is going now, he's probably going to win. Tyrese Halliburton has dropped off a little bit. He'll still finish in that top three, but... Tyrese Halliburton is going to have a great, incredible career. But as far as this award, it's going to go to Anthony Edwards. And the second thing that means is the Hornets are going to drop from about, I think they're the seventh seed right now at the time of the LaMelo Ball injury. They're probably going to be a 12 or a 13, which is okay because it means we get a better draft pick. And I think this offseason is really important for Charlotte because 
they need to create just a reason for LaMelo Ball to stay. Because he ain't got one right now. Like, he's got a fun team. Miles Bridges is fun to throw lobs to. Terrier is fun to watch him go a little bit. Gordon Hayward's a shot maker. And, you know, he loves – it seems like him and Bismack are good buddies. But we need some actual winning players to make him want to stay. So this offseason is really important. And a draft pick can help us trade for a guy like that. So I'm I'm much more focused on that pick at this point. I really just hope LaMelo takes that time to get healthy because by the time he comes back, we're going to be sitting in that 12-13 seed, and LaMelo comes back, maybe he can fight us up to that 10 seed to get for the playoff play-in. But even if we win that, all it's going to do is get us, you know, that eight, 7 or 8 seed to get destroyed by the 76ers or Brooklyn, which does us no good, and it gets us a worse pick. So I definitely hope he just... Takes the time he needs to get healthy. I hope Michael Jordan or whoever is going to be in charge of doing some offseason moves is going to get us a player to really help LaMelo and just give him a reason to stay because I, I don't want him to leave because he's brought a really nice air of Charlotte basketball, making this just a little bit more entertaining to watch or a lot of bit more entertaining, actually. The second injury we see is LeBron James. A front runner for MVP along with Joel Embiid, who is also currently injured. So what this brings me to is who's going to win that MVP award? In my opinion, the most valuable player is Joel Embiid. But he's been injured too much to give it to him. So then I would default to the second place being LeBron, who has also been injured. Well, he hasn't been injured, but he's going to be out for three or four weeks probably. So he's going to have missed a lot of time. So I don't think you can give it to either one of those guys anymore because of the missed time. So that brings me to the question of who is going to win the award. And I have a list of four players in order that I'd like to present for this. Number one, Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic has improved in every statistical category, has a great chance for most improved player of the year, which is crazy because he was a superstar last year. But he has a real chance for most improved and MVP. So it's hard because the Nuggets don't seem like they're as good this year as they've been in the last two but Nikola Jokic in himself has improved. He's improved in every statistical category, and he started off the season a lot better. A lot of the years he plays himself into shape, but this year he just kind of came in and looked in shape. And he's had a couple massive 40-point games, so that really helps your case. <laughs> Secondly, and the person that I hope wins it, is Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard, it's not that his career is ending or it's about to end, but I think he's Definitely on the back end of his career. He's not as young as some of these other guys like Jokic or whoever is num- who number four is. And I think if he's going to win an MVP with these injuries and all this kind of stuff, this is probably his last year to do so. He just he really deserves to have an MVP on his resume because of how awesome he has been over his NBA career. But it's really hard because there's other players like LeBron and Steph in the NBA at the same time to give him one. So this is really his chance. I hope he gets it. He carry, He's carried Portland time after time, him and C.J. McCullough. And he's, a, he's an awesome closer, most clutch player in the NBA, second-best point guard behind Steph. And I really think he deserves it because he just – he doesn't get enough credit for how great he really is. Even though people are recognizing him more, he's still even better than that. Third, I hate to throw him in there because it's not a player that I'm very fond of. But James Harden is very, very good at basketball. Um, He switched up his entire play style going to Brooklyn. Instead of trying to score all these points now, he's really orchestrating this offense. He's doing a great job. And 
he still scores. Like he still gets his points, leading the league and assists, still gets his rebounds. He just changed his play style. He's coming into a team with a two great scores in Kyrie and KD. And he's really turned himself into a, a point guard. Like he looks like a point guard. And that's impressive. He's impressed me tremendously with how he's ran this offense and been so unselfish sharing the ball, which I knew he could do, but I didn't know if he'd be willing to do. But it seems like he really is willing to do that, to get himself a championship, and I'm very impressed with what James Harden is doing. And then, for lack of a choice, just somebody that I think you can throw the award at if you got another better idea, number four, Giannis. It's just that he has the numbers. He hasn't been as good in the last couple years or been as good this year as he has been in the last couple. But he's still Giannis Antetokounmpo. He still has great numbers. The Bucks are still a good basketball team. So it's nothing that really he's done this year. It's just the fact that he is Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he does put up those numbers. If Giannis wins it, I'd probably not be the happiest because I think there's a minimum of three guys that deserve it more. But you can throw it at Giannis, and I wouldn't be livid. So another thing with LeBron being injured and, of course, Anthony Davis being injured. Throughout this season, you know, we've seen a team, especially like the Brooklyn Nets, make a lot of moves and try to improve and really compete for this title. But to me, the front runner for this title the whole year has been the Lakers. So I'm looking at a hypothetical scenario now where we don't have Anthony Davis, we don't have LeBron anymore. So the Lakers are kind of out of it if they're not going to come back, which I think they will, but let's let's pretend they're not. So who is going to win this NBA championship? I think there's three teams that have a chance if the Lakers aren't in it. One in the West, two in the East. I'll start in the West. The West, not the team with the best record. It's not the Utah Jazz, as incredible as they are. I think it's the Clippers. I think the Clippers have been really smart this year. Not that it's really anything they control, but they've stayed out of the spotlight. Paul George is having an incredible year after taking a lot of crap last year, especially in the bubble. Kawhi's being Kawhi. I really do hope they make this move at the trade deadline to get a point guard. There's a lot of talk about one of my favorite players, Lonzo Ball, going there, which I think would really, really help their chances to get that point guard and that defense. Even more defense would help them exponentially. But I like the Clippers to come out of the West. It's just even last year, it's just a team that it's not a surprising pick. Like I don't think that anyone's going to be shocked if the team we see in the NBA Finals is the LA Clippers. The other team is the Philadelphia 76ers. If Joel Embiid stays healthy, this team is probably the best record team in the NBA. They have Ben Simmons. They did a great job bringing Danny Green in. I think he's not having any astounding type of year, but I still think Danny Green's an incredible role player, great shooter. They kept, um, oh my goodness, his name is has left me. But another incredible defensive shooting guard to throw in there along Danny Green if he's getting tired. Can't think of his name. Tyrese Max, he's a bucket. And the composition of that team I just really like. I think they did a great job. Bringing in Seth Curry was a steal. Just somebody for Ben and Joel to kick out to and just consistently, consistently hit threes. That's one of the most underrated moves of the entire offseason. Seth Curry has been such an amazing addition to the da- or not Dallas Mavericks who he played to last year. The Wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Okay, I was talking about Philly. I thought I, was, I lost my track. I thought I was talking about the Clippers. I didn't say, you know, he plays for Philly. But I am talking about Philly. That was an awesome addition to Philly. So I like Philly a lot. And then if LeBron and Anthony Davis don't come back, the team that I think is going to win it uh, more than any of the other two that I said would definitely be the Brooklyn Nets. I just – yeah, I, I understand. It's a boring pick. and 
I don't like to make the pick either because I, I generally I have a lot of controversial picks. Like I, I like to think different stuff. Like you know, with Roy Williams, a lot of people still think he's an incredible coach. I think he should retire. And I, I like to make controversial picks like that. But you look at this Brooklyn Nets team, and you see a three-headed monster. You see Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. And yeah, this team struggles defensively, especially down low after trading Jared Allen. And I I understand that. And perimeter, or sorry, interior defense is very, very important in the NBA. And it hurts to not have it. It really does. It's important. I just can't see any other team in the NBA outscoring those three players in a seven-game series. Like, all three of those guys are guys that can put up 40 or 50. And even if they all, like, I think they're all easily capable of putting up 30, that's 90 points. That's a really hard team to beat. I just don't think it can be done but by anyone but a healthy Lakers team because of the fact I think they would have such a hard time stopping Anthony Davis, and then LeBron's going to be LeBron. So I think that would be an incredible finals matchup if those two come back healthy. But if not, I'm going to take the Nets to win the NBA championship. We're looking at fringe. See, if you guys listen to the Woj pod, Woj obviously making all these incredible predictions cost the NBA – the trade deadline's Thursday. This is a Tuesday. So we're probably going to have another late episode Thursday just because I want to do this all after the trade deadline. Because huh, Woj says he's expecting about 16 trades. Not 16 players, but 16 trades. I would love to dive in to some of the suspected ones, but it's just so much. We're just going to wait till after they happen or don't happen, and we're going to have a whole episode probably Thursday dedicated to it. Unless the deadline's like the very end of the day, in which case we'll have to wait till next Tuesday. But the only move that I really hope happens, I hope Lonzo Ball goes to the Clippers. I love Lonzo Ball, as you guys know. So I'd love to see him being a winning team. The Pelicans are good, and he's entertaining down there. But he could really, really help those guys win a championship. I mean, he, he could be awesome. They need a point guard. And the defense with Lonzo and... Kawhi and Paul George, that's tough. And they got Surge, too. So that, that's a really tough team to beat. And maybe the addition of Alonzo makes me like them a little more against a team like Brooklyn. The last thing I want to talk about um, as far as free agency goes, what are my Los Angeles Chargers doing? We let Hunter Henry walk. We let Casey Hayward walk. And I, I maybe I imagine we let Chris Harris walk. I can't remember. I'm I'm thinking he might still be on the team, but I know Casey Hayward and Hunter Henry Garner. Maybe it's Chris Harris and Hunter Henry. But one of our best corners and Hunter Henry, our tight end, who was very, very good for us, are gone. And those are two players that make a lot of money. So here's my initial thought. I see Hunter Henry go to the Chargers, and I see – Chris Harris or Casey Hayward, which, of course, like I said, can't remember at the moment. I, I'm almost positive it's Casey Hayward. So I'm going to say Casey Hayward from here on out. We let him go. That's a lot of money that we're not paying anymore. So I'm like, all right, sick. We're fixing to get a big-name free agent. First guy that comes to mind is Deshaun Watson. Despite the fact he's not a free agent, he is somebody that's on the market for another team to have right now. And then I'm like, no, we have Justin Herbert, just one rookie of the year. We're definitely not getting a quarterback. So I just, 
I don't know what the Chargers are trying to do right now. I still think that they're trying to pick up a free agent that is going to cost some money because of how much cap space that cleared. Or maybe Hunter Henry and Casey Hayward just didn't want to play for the Chargers anymore because we have such a minimal amount of fans. And as a player, that probably sucks. I understand. That's probably not very fun at all. So maybe that's it. Maybe you're just like, yeah, this this isn't very fun. I'm not enjoying playing in front of three people per game. But I'm really nervous because our secondary was so good last year. The team definitely struggled, but the secondary was top five in the NFL. And I'm a defensive-oriented guy. I love to watch defensive football, so I hate to see a Casey Hayward go. And then Hunter Henry, who's a very reliable tight end. He, he's not Travis Kelsey. He's not Darren Waller, but he's super reliable. 90% of the time, you throw a pass to him, he's going to catch it. And even in contested situations, a lot of the time, he's going to come down with that ball. So I'm I'm just I'm concerned with what the Chargers are doing. I hope to come back with good news and say that we've signed somebody incredible. Um, I, I really like what the Giants are doing right now. I, I'm looking for them to make a move for a good quarterback, but Saquon Barkley coming back, who's my favorite – or sorry, my second favorite running back in the NFL because Dalvin Cook went to Florida State. Uh, I love – Saquon, though, and they add Kenny Galladay to that offense, an incredible receiver finally getting out of Detroit, which seems to no longer be a desirable place to go. Not that it ever was a place that just people wanted to go terribly or something like that, but it seems to that it's gotten worse, unfortunately, for MMG, who is very entertaining to watch on YouTube. But good for the Giants. I think they're going to make a push to win that division this year after how sorry it was last year with the Washington football team winning it, who – I don't think we're as bad as people thought because they had a very defensively sound team, especially with that pick of Chase Young, which worked out great for them. But uh, I'm looking forward to talking more NFL free agency, hopefully looking forward to talking about the Chargers signing somebody big. Uh, I'm going to be very disappointed if they don't, especially with how much money they now have. And that's really it for this episode. We're, We're a little short. We're sitting at 45 minutes, but we're recording late tonight. We had some technical difficulties. I had to also fill out my FAFSA today for my college application, some college work, and still, you know, I have high school work too because I am still in high school. So it, it's been a pretty busy day for me, so I didn't get this till late. I'm about to go run to where I have a little bit better internet to upload it, but I appreciate you guys tuning in. I'm sorry it's not quite as long. We still hit about 46 minutes here, so it's not incredibly short. I promise you guys I'll try my best to never put out an episode that's less than at least 40 minutes because I think that's a good time. I I will shoot for 50 though, 50 to an hour because it cuts off in an hour. But thank you guys for tuning in. I love you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Jumble episode six. See you guys.